again and welcome to another installment of Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. I'm Jay Crawford, thrilled to be joined by a guy who had the great distinction of playing for two groups with all-time outstanding nicknames. He was a part of the Electric Company, and he was also a big part of the Cardiac Kids. Hello and welcome to Hall of Famer Joe DeLamalure. Joe, great to see you. Great to see you. Great when being I, here. When I say that um, about the great nicknames, have you given much thought to that? I mean, if someone's lucky if they play for one team in their career that has a great nickname. You had two. Yeah, I had two, and I played for three MVPs in the league. OJ twice, and then when I got traded in 80 to the Browns, Brian. Wow. Uh, Sipe, so. Not many guys can say they've and blocked I, for three I blocked MVPs. for a 2,000-yard rusher and a 4,000-yard passer. First time in the history of the league at that point. Wow. And uh, OJ's was uh, 14 games, which is really unusual. Yeah. And, it was the only guy ever to rush yeah. for 2,000 And Brian, uh, I think the year we came, I got here, uh, Brian only had uh, 10 sacks that year. Can you imagine giving up only 10 sacks and throwing? I think he threw, the only one threw more than him was uh, Faust. Which group do you more identify yourself with, the electric company or the cardiac kids? Well, the electric company, because I played there and I went to, that's where I went to the Pro Bowls. Here, I went to one Pro Bowl here. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I feel really good about the Cleveland Browns because I, when I came here, they were kind of like trying to find where they're at, and sure. all of a sudden, Brian, I, like the third week of the season, and you can ask him if I didn't say this to him. I said, Brian, I think you're going to be the MVP because that guy could <laughs> see the field like nobody I've ever seen. And I played with Joe Ferguson, who was a great quarterback. Sure. But Brian, you could tell, he was just really in locked in that yeah. season for whatever reason. And we had a good line. I mean, uh, Deacon DeLeon and uh, Robert Jackson, I took his place. Yeah. And uh, Cody Risen was, he was outstanding. Yeah. And then, it all starts up front. Yeah, it was pretty good. And uh, we had uh, good coaching and everything. Sam was great. Yeah. And uh, it was a blessing for me to come here from where I came from. When you look back on your on your years with the Browns, what, what are some of your more fond memories? Actually, they're every day because I hang, you, you stay in contact with the guys you played with, Clay Matthews and Dave Pizzuli and, um, Cody Rising, you have Dick Ambrose, you have such great friends. Right now I'm praying that Clay gets into the hall, which he should. I, I can't believe he's not. Feels long overdue. Long overdue. And he, I don't care how they count, they didn't count Pro Bowls like they uh, did back then like they do now. If he was playing now, he, he would be in Pro Bowls all the time. But back then you had, a, it was the co defensive coaches and the other opposing players only on the defense or offense, that side of the ball could vote for you. Right. So, you know, Clay, Clay was an unbelievable player. You grew up in Detroit. What, what was Joe D. like as a kid? I was a ninth of ten kids, and I had it made because I had four brothers who were really old, tough guys. So everybody, I'd walk down the street and everybody would say, oh, don't touch him, it's DeLon Lear. His brothers will kick your rear end. Don't touch him. Yeah. So I walked through life like that until I got big enough to take care of myself. But I was the only one to go, go to college. So it was a big deal for my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters to see me actually go to Michigan State. And never in a million years did I think I'd go to Michigan State when I was in high school. Or yeah. It's just one of those things that happened. I can only imagine what it's like growing up, one of ten. We what, had, what we had was... one, one bathroom, no lock. There, <sighs> there was no shower. It was a, a tub. And my mother told us, you boys start taking uh, showers over at school. Join the team. So that's how I actually everybody started playing sports, because we wanted a shower. And, um, and you didn't have to wait in line at home, and there were 
Yeah, there was. There were 12, uh, 11 other people. <laughs> nobody to use would go. We showered, we bathed once a week if we wanted to or we didn't. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm not joking. That is like, they say, hey, you go to college and you shower every day? Oh my God, this is great. So literally, if you connect all these dots and we'll go from dot one to the last dot in the, in the line, you're in the Hall of Fame because My you family. couldn't shower at home. Basically, <laughs> and I had older brothers. And we, we grew up in a, I don't want to say a tough neighborhood, like a neighborhood tough, sure. but the kids were tough. Right. Man, they were hard-nosed kids. Right. And we played sports constantly from sunrise to sunset. Came home when the lights, uh, the street lights came on, that's when we got it, had to be in the house. Right. And there was up in the morning, 5.30, go help my dad clean the bar. There was no mercy. like. I can't even imagine a kid growing up in our house. I look at sports. The very first game I played, we played against New England Patriots, and I was starting. I was a starter. And everybody said, what, you, what were you thinking? I was saying, I thought to myself, my dad was 43 when he had me. My mother was probably like 38. And now the ninth of 10 kids is starting in the National Football League. That doesn't happen, That's ever. It, it was an amazing feeling. That's what I thought. I didn't think of anything else. Like, hey, I'm starting an O.J. Simpson. And he broke a record that game. O.J. broke a rushing record. Is that record. his 275-yard game? Or that was his 250. 250. But, okay. he, but he broke a record. So I thought to myself, I never thought once about, hey, I'm doing pretty good or anything like that. I always thought about my friends that watched me in high school, my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters, who are actually watching a sibling play on in the, in the National Football League. It was right. an amazing story. And my dad... What, what did that mean to your parents? Uh, my dad was... Uh, it meant everything to him, but he was... He, he had a hard time expressing emotions, you know, emotions. That, that was the time. He didn't that do it. But we had uh, tickets to the Lions game for Thanksgiving. Every Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. they played the Packers. In 1961, I'll never forget this game. It was 62. The Lions sacked Bart Starr 10 times. And we had six tickets from Stroh's Beer. Uh, my four brothers sat way up top, and me and my dad, because I'm the youngest, got to sit with him like down near a box. So I said to my dad, I like I was nuts about football, and they were killing the Packers. And I go, Dad, I'm going to play in this. I'm going to play in this game someday. And how you, old were you? I was. It was. I was 1962. I was 11. Wow. And uh, he, most old men, or most dads, would say, Yeah, when you do, kid, I'll. Yeah, right, you're going to do that. My dad, he, without batting that, he goes, when you do, I'll be here. And we played uh, Lions at Thanksgiving game. O.J. broke the record. I was playing in that game. Long story short, it's got to be short, because um, he had a heart attack, yeah. and he couldn't go to the game, but he checked oh, himself wow. out, and he did go to the game. So after the game, we came in the locker room. I go, Dad, what, what the heck were you doing? You're not supposed to be out here. He goes, I told you, I'm not going to forget. I told, you told me you are going to play. I told you I'm going to be here. That's an incredible Never story. said a word for 30 years or however long it was, but that's what happened. Wow, that's and, an uh, incredible story. Then we'd have a big Thanksgiving dinner at the bar after, and that was like one of the coolest Thanksgiving because the, the Bills let me stay home uh, to celebrate Thanksgiving, and we had it at my dad's bar. The bar was closed that day, and every, everybody came up after. It had game. to be a huge celebration oh, for family and friends. And but we lost the game, but O.J. broke the record. So right, right. You, you can't tell me that guys aren't sometimes happy that they broke a record even sure. though they lost the game. I was. Yeah. Because it's not about me. It's not about O.J. or anything like that. It's about your family. Right.
Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most. That's why Bridgestone Dueler Tires boast up to an 80,000-mile limited warranty, so they're in it for the long haul. Because nothing says endurance like season after season of clutch performance. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com warranty for details. Dad owns a bar in Detroit, still owns. Still there. 71 years. It's Something like that. My, my nephews and nieces now own it. Wow. What, how did that impact your life early on? It was, it was our whole life. It was my family's whole life. We went there every day. They, they ate a lot of burgers. He, he, he was like, uh, I'm a real Seinfeld guy. So he's like the soup Nazi because you walk in the <laughs> kitchen, he just got a little thing here. Yeah. These are all factory workers. They stick their cheeseburger, then they go out and he'd come out and deliver. Right, right. And, or in, when we were kids, we'd go deliver it, you know, take it out to the thing. So we were cleaning the bar, delivering the food out to the patrons. And um, Is it still in the same still, spot? Still the same spot, same building. They just expanded. When did you start helping the family business? When I was five. Five before, years old? Even before that. I'd really? Go, yeah, go, they wake you up, hey, go fill the salt and pepper shakers. Then you're, my dad would walk by, hey, Joey, you're going to make something. So, cool, Dad. Wow. Cool. But that's just, and I, I didn't go to kindergarten. He said, you don't need it. We need you here. You got to fill it. We, labor laws to him were, he would have been in jail because yeah. it was all child labor. Sure. And I, I remember I was 16, I was tending bar. I go, Dad, cops could get me. He goes, cops. You kick the crap out of the cop. You're, you're bigger than they are. You're not going to get in trouble. Just get your rear back. Joe, how do you think uh, working at such a young age, even though it was a family business it and it was fun, how did that change? What, what did you learn from that? How did that change you? It's made my life because I get up every morning like at 5, 30, 6 o'clock and I work out. I stretch. I do whatever. But he put it, he, work ethic. I mean, it, it wasn't, there was no question what you were doing. You were doing something for the family. When you got up, it wasn't. I never went to one of those deals. Hey, Dad, can we go on vacation? With what? We had ten kids with one car. It was a four door. You pile in with each other, but we. It was so much fun. My wife did the same thing. Her, they had eight kids. Her dad was a fire chief, and uh, they, it was just the best of life. It was the best of times. You could make that movie. I go watch my brothers play high school. You know, they were my heroes. Everybody said. Who was your sports hero? I go, my, my brothers and my dad were my hero because they, they did everything I wanted to do. They were great baseball players, great football players. Uh, then later, I imagine, they kind of lived vicariously through probably, your pro career. Yeah, probably they did. I, I know one of them did for sure. Yeah. But, you know, it was, but it was just so much fun, man. Your first high school team had 16 members on yeah, the team? Yeah, on the varsity, yeah. How do you even field a team with 16? Our coach was saying, he, he's in the Michigan Hall of Fame. He's still alive, Coach Bumgart. He said, uh, I'm getting soft. I'm really getting soft. He says, we got five extra guys we don't need. I can't, <laughs> I can't run them off. He was a great coach. And Everybody I, had to play both ways. Oh, yeah. I played both ways. I kicked off and punted. And I, I, so you were literally on the field for every play. For every play. Are you kidding? If they take you off, they would. No way. I, I would never. I was the team any off. good? We we wanted to do the Detroit Catholic Championship. With sixteen players. Sixteen players. We we scrimmaged East Detroit, which was a big, huge public school. Yeah. And that's the only, one of the only games I never played in, because my coach told me, "You were screwing around. You're not playing." I go, "I never screwed around." He says, "I don't want you playing." 
you're not playing today. Sit down. It was a scrimmage. After the game, he said, I had to do that because they weren't going to let you play. They weren't going to scrimmage if we let you play. <laughs> Why? Were you too big? I was a middle linebacker, and I was a fullback. I weighed 227 in high school, and I was a fullback, and I played middle linebacker. I used to hurt kids. Like, I was. So the coach told you you're just... He said he punished me, like, but yeah, then after the game. But really, he said, you had done nothing he, wrong. Yeah, he goes, Joey, I had to tell you, you didn't do anything wrong. The coach wouldn't scrimmage if you played. So wow. I had to sit out. Tried to protect his players. Yeah. What do you think, what did you learn from playing on a team that had 16 guys that won a city league Catholic championship? Technique is everything. He, our coach, that coach was a technique. If I'm blocking the guy here, you cannot drive off this foot. You got to step off the back foot. So everything was. Everything was all technique. And then when I got to Michigan State, I had a decent coach. But then when I went to Buffalo, had the best coach ever, Coach Ringo. Maybe yeah. Howard Mudd coached me here with the Browns, but Ringo was the best coach. And they were technique. It was all technique. All I was way, way ahead of my time. I was, guys used to block like this. I was throwing punches. Guy grabbed it here. I, as soon as he put his arm over, I'd hit him in the ribs with my other hand. It was like a fist fight <laughs> right. the whole time. And... I got really good at it. At what point, Joe, did you know you were really good? Starting in my junior year, I was starting to get recruited, and I University of Miami recruited me way up in Detroit. Back then, you could sign as many letters of intent as long as they weren't in the same conference. Like, I couldn't sign two big 10 letters, right. but Miami was independent, so I signed a thing. I come home, oh, God, I was excited. I'm going to Miami. I can't believe it. So I give my dad the, Dad, I'm going to Miami. He goes, let me see that. He would swear, let me see that sheet, but he'd say sure. the other word. So he looks at it, what's this? I said, it's a letter of intent, I'm going to Miami, I got a scholarship. He said, let me see that, he rips it up. Too god dang far, that, your brothers and sisters will never see you. I go, jeez. So he come down to time of, okay, now it's the final time, where are you going? So I go, I'm one of Bo's first recruits, Bo Schembechler's. Yeah. I go, Dad, I, I want to go to Michigan. He goes, Michigan. I can't pronounce that guy's name. How do you say it? <laughs> Schembach. I go, come on, Dad. We're Delamalier. Schembechler. I don't want you to go there. So I go, all right, I'm going to Notre Dame because I'm Catholic. Even, sure. even to this day, I go to Mass. I try to go every day. He goes, you can't go there. I go, why? He said, Eric Parsesian is a Protestant. He's a phony. He's coaching at Notre Dame. He goes, you go to Michigan State because Duffy Doherty's Catholic. And I go, you're right. What the heck was I thinking? I go, <laughs> so you, dad talked you into Michigan you do, State. You did what your parents told you to do. And actually, that's a true story. I said, I, I, dad, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. You're right. Coach Doherty is Catholic. <laughs> that's how I went to Michigan State. It was my third choice. So take me back to the time you're leaving Michigan State and you're about to become a pro. Today, the, the whole draft experience is takes place under the limelight. What was your pre-draft experience and then draft day experience? The like. pre-draft, when they, the day of the draft, I had a five credit class, uh, 100 true false questions that I had to pass to, to graduate in four years on time. So my wife and Jerry's, uh, I go, hey, if I get drafted, it's the day of the draft, it's not on TV. Pull the blinds up and open the door. Like, then I got drafted, because uh, only one team contacted me, Pittsburgh. 
They said they were going to draft me in the first round unless JT Thomas was available. Only one team? You had contact with one NFL team? One team that called me before the draft. And San Francisco called, like, junior year. But Pittsburgh called, and they said, if we don't take you then, we're going to take you the first guy in the second round. Like, they had a high pick in the second round. But JT Thomas was available, so they took him. Mm -hmm. So then there was no communication. Like, I'm not watching. I didn't know who took JT. Wasn't on TV then? Wasn't on TV, anything. So anyhow, I come home from my test, which was like three-hour test. It's like 12 o'clock or 1 o'clock. Draft started at 9. Uh, I saw the door shut and the blinds are down. I go, oh, God. So I opened. She goes, nobody's called. And then, like, right then, minutes later, the phone rings. It's, it's uh, the NFL. So the guy who I pick up the phone, hey, hey, we just drafted you in the first round. I hang up the, oh, great. I hang up, slam the phone down, call my dad. I just got drafted by Pittsburgh in the first round. They call me back. Larry Felser was a sports writer. He says, what do you think about playing with OJ? I go, playing with OJ, what? What? They, yeah, you were the 26th pick in the first round. Are you kidding me? I'm playing with OJ. <laughs> so I had no idea. I thought I was drafted by Pittsburgh because the guy just said, we just drafted you in the Never first said round. he was with the Bills. Never said he was with the, it was Mr. Wilson, the guy who owned the team. The senior bowl was coached by the Buffalo Bills coaching staff. So Ringo's my coach at the senior bowl. I only weighed 243 in college. Even that was small then. So I get on the scale on Friday before the game, and uh, Coach Ringo's looking at the thing. He looks, the, all the scouts are back there. It's not like now where sure, everybody's, everybody's looking. And ESPNs are. He writes, he gets off, he turns off, Delamalier, 255. I go, whoa. I look at it, I was 243. He goes, I hope I see you in Buffalo. And then I left. Wow. I had no idea that he'd be my coach. He'd make that much of a difference. I knew he was a great coach just from the senior bowl. But, Did he later tell you that he oh, saw yeah. What, yeah. exactly what he was looking for that week? Yeah, he, I was undersized. He was undersized. He played in 183 straight games. I played in 185. Oh. I mean, he wow. was... He was, Coach Ringo was like incredible coach. And he, he uh, all the guys used to say, go, go talk to your daddy, see how we're practicing today. Because I, we just bonded. Yeah. And uh, not, he never babied me, never babied me. He was on me for everything. You know, yeah. he was just so, hey, you got, you got a chance to be really good and we're going to, we're going to really pound you yeah. to get there. That's what, what was happened. your reaction to becoming OJ's teammate? I was glad. I, I mean, I thought he was great. Reggie McKenzie played left guard. He's from Detroit, so we've known each other. My rookie year was his first year where he really busted out. Yeah. But it was because of Ringo. We had the same plays as Green Bay, the sweep, and he, we just ran the Green Bay sweep. Instead of Fuzzy Thurston and Jerry Kramer, it was Reggie McKenzie and Joe DeLamalier. Yeah. And we had a great blocking fullback, Jim Braxton, who was un, unreal. He's like 260 pounds. Yeah. So. It was just put together by Ringo. That brand of football is gone today. Yeah. What I do you think to, of that? I'll, I think if they spread the field and ran the ball a lot more, I think I would hate to see O.J. Simpson and Jim Brown running one-on-one -on -one against these defensive backs when they spread the field so wide and they get through the line of scrimmage like that. Yeah. I think they could even run the ball better, but they don't. Yeah. They, it's just a different game. And it's, uh, the good part about the game now, to me, is everybody says, it's not like when you guys played, it was rough. I go, no, it's safer, and that's better for the players. Yeah. Because you don't need guys walking around uh, Maine for the rest of their life just to say they played football. Before you actually start with the Buffalo Bills, 
had coming out of Michigan State, you had a real scare. Tell us I had to that. go take my physical, and all I was doing that was so I could sign because, you know, it's we didn't have agents back then. So I go get my physical at Buffalo General, and the doctor says uh, there's a problem. I oh, what? So uh, Lou Saban calls me and he said, "Look, you flunked your physical. You can't play." I go, "What? You got some uh, inverted T wave with your heart? There's something wrong with your heart." I can't believe it, so we're riding home. She goes, well, I guess it's meant to be that you don't play. You're going to be a coach or something. So I go there, and then I go to Michigan State. Uh, Buffalo is going to send me to the University of Michigan and have my heart checked. This For like a second opinion? For a second opinion from Buffalo. And D Duffy Doherty, who's crazy, he said, nobody from Michigan State is going to Michigan to get checked. And he said, I have a friend at the Cleveland Clinic. We're going to send you down to the clinic. And I called Mr. Wilson. I said, I, instead of going to Michigan, I want, they want me to go to Cleveland Clinic. And he said, okay, we'll pay for it. And the bills said they'll pay any medical surgery for it. So they sent me to Cleveland Clinic. I'm thinking we're coming here to, you know, tell me what's, what's going to happen. You know, do I have to have open heart surgery? Who knows? So I go in there. The doctor, she's with me. My wife's with me. They go, feel, feel your pulse. Lay down on the table. Lay down on the table. They feel my ankle, the pulse. The guy said, look. They made a big mistake. There's nothing wrong with you. I said, we got to give you a cardiac cath uh, to prove it. They put me on a bicycle, and I broke the record at the Cleveland Clinic. Like I was, <laughs> for real. It lasted a long time, that record. And they said, there's nothing wrong with you. So I go, holy crap. I was, I was probably a free agent. I wasn't smart enough to think. I drove up to Buffalo. We got up there so quick. You I were signed just excited that you'd be able to play. Oh, I, th I didn't think I was going to ever play. Wow. Yeah, that's my whole life. I'm telling you, my life is like, but that taught me a lesson to enjoy, enjoy football. Because you almost lost it. Yeah. Then I go to camp early and the coaches go, what are you here for? I go, to discourage, I'd always go a week early, to discourage my competition. I want them to think I'm crazy. And they did. People, you really like this. I'd run in between sessions. Yeah, I love it. I did though. Wow. I would have played for free. Mr. Wilson tested that almost made me play for free. Buffalo fit you well, I, I think, just because of, you know, Buffalo, Cleveland, and Detroit are kind of like Russ yeah. Bucket cousins. You and know, I, when it's, I was it's all here, the same mentality. They asked me that question. They said, you're a blue-collar guy. You played born in Detroit, drafted by Buffalo, traded to Cleveland. I said, yeah, my biggest fear is Gary Indiana's going to get an expansion team. <laughs> and I got all these calls. People wrote me letters. Come, and, come to Gary. It's a lot nicer than you think. It wasn't like they were upset. They were just glad I mentioned it. It was sure. in Sports Illustrated. Like well, the, it was they in said a, it. They it said meant it. it as a compliment. I was very complimented yeah. and very hopeful they never did get a team. <laughs> I would have been there. So in Buffalo, you mentioned the success that OJ had with that terrific line. But I always found it interesting that an offensive line, you're only recognized when there's a penalty. Right. But your offensive line actually had a nickname. How did Electric Company come about? And Well, what happened was there was a cartoon called The Electric Company. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember it. Yeah. So they were saying, after a couple of games, they were saying, we got to come up with a nickname. Not us, the fans were. So uh, Bud Tallman was uh, the PR guy. Yeah. And he had a 10-year-old son, and he watched the thing. Uh, the Electric Company. He goes, hey, Dad, why don't you call those guys The Electric Company? Because they turn loose the juice. Wow. O.J. Simpson, yeah. and that's how it picked up. That's how it is. <laughs> and that became the electric company. Yeah. And uh, th there's only one other team that has a nickname, Offensive Line, the Hogs. Yeah. 
And uh, I know Joe Jacoby and those guys really well. I don't know how it came about, but I, looking at Joe Jacoby and those yeah, guys, you can tell. I can say they were yeah. huge. We weren't big. We, yeah. we had some guys who could really run. You did. Um, and OJ loved to run behind that line and often credited you guys for much of his success. What was his 2,000-yard season like? Well, first of all, he would have bro- broke 2,000 way back when because we played a couple games. Like the, He sat out a part of the New England game when he had 250 the first game. Mm-hmm. And then we had more yards, and he sat out some games because like, we were beating him, and nobody was thinking at 2,000 yards. Uh, Jim Brown had the record 1863, I think, yeah. was his record. And so once we got to like, once we got to the seventh game, we played the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, I think it was on Halloween night, but uh, OJ got went for a thousand. He broke the thousand yard mark that night. Then everybody said we're going for two thousand. Reggie McKenzie was the guy. He he had the big mouth. He'd always be mouthing off. We're going two thousand, dog. <laughs> First of all, I'm not a dog, <laughs> but. You know, but that's just how he was. So then it started like, wow, after seven games, he really did have a cha- shot at 2,000. Then you yards. felt you had to live up to it. Yeah, we, right? well, yeah, put a lot of pressure on us. And uh, he, he could have gotten a lot more than 2,000, though, because he came out early in a couple of those earlier games. Yeah. And he would have, and if he didn't have a record to shoot at, he was actually, uh, when he got the 1,000, started to shoot at Jim Brown's record. Yeah. Where he so said, 2,000 just happened. Yeah, it just right. happened. What was OJ like as a teammate? One of the best. He practiced hard. He practiced like he was going to get cut, which amazed me. He was a superstar who practiced like a guy who's just trying to make the team. Mm-hmm. He always would run his 40 last when he came to camp because he said he's just going to beat the best time, which he always did. And um, if he had a flaw, it was uh, he thought he could do everything great no matter what. I mean, didn't matter if he played tennis, shoot pool, yeah, anything. He thought he could do better and he was just really a great runner and great football player yeah the rest of it he was okay at yeah when Buffalo ends and you're traded to Cleveland it was 1980 I believe how did you feel about being traded from Buffalo and coming to Cleveland I held out a camp because uh, I had Lou Saban who was a Cleveland Brown yeah Lou Saban was a Brown like through and through hard nose but he became the head coach of Buffalo so he was the one who drafted me with Coach Ringo and everything. So when he left, he, he actually left over the OJ contract because he didn't want to pay OJ that much. He wanted to pay the linemen and spread out the money. But him and Mr. Wilson had a falling out, so he, uh, Lou quit. And they hired Chuck Knox, who I, hey, I was really excited. He's ground Chuck, they called him and all yeah. this stuff. Then he's trading all my friends, Tony Green, Jim Braxton. He's letting all these guys go. So I said, look, I want to get traded. Because I could see coming down the road, I just didn't get along with the guy, so I wanted to be traded. So uh, he said, uh, "He said, where do you want to get traded?" I said, "I'd like to get traded to Detroit if you could," which I didn't want to go to, but I know how Chuck was. Sure. That would be the first team he'd try trade me to. Monty Clark is the coach of the Lions, so he, Monty's calling me all the time. He said, "Just hold out, don't go to camp," which was killing me because I always went to camp and right. it was early. If I didn't show up on a certain day, I'm put on the did not report list. So I reported and uh, to camp, and then uh, I had to go up and see Chuck, and he said, you know, I thought you weren't coming to camp. I said, I, I wasn't going to come to camp, but I'm not going to let a little squirt like you, in a lot worse language, cut my career short, so I'm here, I'll play. Before I hit the door, he traded me to Cleveland, which he thought was a punishment, 
because he thought I wanted to go to Detroit. I didn't want to go to Detroit because Cleveland had a big, we had a big uh, satellite at the bar. Yeah. And I couldn't believe I got traded. God took care of me because every game was uh, televised in my dad's bar from Cleveland. So wow. I'm going, whoa. And I get to drive here. So you come to Cleveland and that first season is is quite a memorable season. What, it's one of my most memorable. Is it really? That and the, my rookie year in Buffalo because yeah. we were really good. That, that team was one of the best teams I played on because we, Buffalo didn't have the defense we had, yeah. but man, Clay Matthews and Robert uh, Jackson, the linebacker, mm -hmm. and uh, Jerry Shirk, but Jerry got hurt. But we really, and the defensive backs I thought were excellent with Darden and Bolton right. and those guys, Clarence Scott. They're really, really good players. So I thought, wow, we got a real opportunity. And, and the season just, you know, just started rolling along and Brian got better and better. I said, man, this is going to be, I'm going to go here and we're going to go to the Super Bowl. When you look back to that 1980 season, most people remember one play. Uh, if they, if Red right 88. Them. Red right 88. Yeah. I got a fat head. I wish it would, the ball would have hit me in the head. I heard it go <laughs> by me. But I go, What do you damn. most remember about that game? We'll talk about the play in a second, but what do you most remember about that day, that game? How bad the field was. Yeah. Because what they did is they pulled the tarps off with tractors, and their uh, tractor tires treads all over. The field was horrible shape. And I, I just thought to myself, I like playing in bad weather, but I said, man, if we played these guys on a dry field, we would kill them. We were a lot tougher. We, we had tough guys. I know they had their guys, but I think we were better. Brian was better. I think Mike and Greg Pruitt were better. And uh, we had really good receivers. And uh, Bolton took, he intercepted the one ball. I mean, and ran it down. I, was, I just thought we were a much better team. And I thought, this is, this is going to be our time. Joe, do you think it's because of the field conditions that day that I the think Browns that day, don't have a Super Bowl championship? That and uh, Paul McDonald wore scuba gloves. And the ball was kind of slick when he put it down. Yeah. And Cockroft missed the extra point. Yeah. So, I mean, and then I can't blame Sam because he, we didn't make two extra points. How, how are you going to kick a field Got to go for a touchdown yeah. there. Oh, I, I mean, it's just the way it is. But I'm sure you've relived that play a, a million, million times. Yeah, I, you see breakfast, red, right, 88. What the hell? <laughs> red, right, right. Yeah, it, never, it never goes away to this day. Yeah. I mean, even to this but day. But you say that to any Cleveland fan. We were flying. I flew in here yesterday with a guy, a big Cleveland Brown fan. What about that play? I said, what, red, right, 88? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody knows it in Cleveland, if you're our age, but yeah. it's just one of those deals. Bridgestone knows you want the same thing from your tires as you do from the Cleveland Browns. Performance when it matters most, which is why Bridgestone tires are built for just that. Whether it's driving up to 50 miles to safety after a flat, confident control in wet conditions, or the dependability of an 80,000-mile limited warranty, Bridgestone's roster of tires has got you covered. Bridgestone, official tire of the Cleveland Browns. Conditions apply. Log on to BridgestoneTire.com slash warranty for details. When you um, look back on your Hall of Fame career, I'm sure that you give credit to many of your teammates. No one does it alone. And, and speaking of teammates, I know kind of the sanctuary for all football players is that locker room. And boy, Joe, how the locker rooms have changed from when you played. I'd love to take you down to the oh, Browns' yeah. current locker room and sort of talk about how They've changed from oh, then yeah. and now, I you're and gonna, also get some locker room stories. I thought you were going to take me down to our old one and punish us. I which, wish I could. No, it, <laughs> no. Was, it was a great locker room. The, I went from uh, Rich Stadium, which was brand new when I uh, 
73, we opened that stadium. Yeah. So that was like this stadium right now at that time. Sure. And then I got traded to Cleveland. I go, whoa. Yeah, that was a step is, back. And I knew when we played here, they only had like three spigots in the visitor's locker room. We used to have to stand in line and wait yeah. for a shower. But well, let's go down and look at the good. new the new facilities. That'd be cool. Well, Joe, here it is. It's probably a little different than what than what you remember at the old stadium. Yeah, the old stadium didn't even have carpeting. We it was concrete and it was cold yeah. most of the time. And uh, I played in visitors well, when, when Buffalo came. We only had three three showers total. There were like eight up there, but only three worked. What was the times in the locker room like with the old Browns? What comes to mind when you think about those, those well, times? One of my uh, locker, the guy next to me was Charlie White, yeah. who to me was one of the most amazing football players I've ever seen. He was, I don't think he had an ounce of fat on him. Yeah. This guy was, and he, he would, he was a hard-nosed kid. I mean, really hard-nosed. And he would just come in, not say much, just put his clothes on, go out there to practice, come, hardly even talk. Yeah. Then you get another rookie like Dave Pizzuli who came from Pitt and never shut up, basically. And he was, <laughs> he was a jokester. So it's constantly picking at each other. And Clay Matthews was a great one. Did you find when you left the game that were, were you looking for something to replace this? Yes, still am to this day. Because after you win a game, you give high fives. After you lose it, you're sad. When you're in the business world or anything else, nothing is that instant. Football is like this. In four to five days, you know if you're what you're doing. In two or three hours, you know if you won or you lost. Football, you found out like that. Man, three hours, I did good or I did bad. Right. And even when you did good, sometimes you played bad. And when you played bad, sometimes you played good. Yeah. Uh, you know, so there, it's never just a total happiness, like unless you win a Super Bowl. There's always something to work on. Yeah, there's always something to work on. If you never capture the Super Bowl, it goes on forever because it's gone. You'll yeah. never get that opportunity unless you're playing. And that's what I think about locker room. Nobody understands that unless you played the game. You either you're a winner or you're a wannabe winner. So after your time in Cleveland, you weren't done in Buffalo. You, uh, you go back to Buffalo for one final season. Talk I went back because uh, Coach Ringo was there. He, he went back to Buffalo, too. And then I was playing. We were, we were terrible. That was a bad year. We had no quarterback at all. So I, I, my wife and kids stayed home. That was killing me because I'm, my family's first. And so I hadn't seen them in like 10 weeks. So I get these premonitions like uh, we were playing San Diego, and we really sucked. And I, I'm <laughs> playing a lot more than I thought I should have been playing because they were just bad. And uh, I went to coach. I said, look, I'm not playing. I'm done. Football is like, so I had two games left or something. But yeah. I just had a premonition that we, it was, and it was Thanksgiving. And I said, I'm going home to see my family. Yeah, he goes, oh, that's fine. You know, I said, no, no, I'm not coming back. Because I, I, at that time, I wasn't as big as all the linemen. There was a giant leap in evolution. Mm -hmm there they found a pill or a needle or something they got big yeah linemen were like 280 290 sure and i was the same i weighed like 255 and uh i said why am i going to play two games and maybe get a life a lifetime injury sure because i never had a surgery and i'm superstitious so i go i think it's time to go so you I just came, had a feeling i had a feeling i came home she was shocked and uh it was funny because coach shula and uh, the patriots called because they were in a battle for the game 
for the Super Bowl. Right. And coach said, hey, you know, we need, we'd love to have you down here for the remainder of the season. I said, coach, I, I started a bill. I want to end a bill. But I look back at that and think, oh, maybe I should have done that. But it just didn't work out. And yeah. I, I wanted to be where I was and be home and all this and be true to myself. You, you, you didn't stay away from football for long. You, um, you, you make the transition into coaching. What was that like for you? It was tough, but I, before that, I was coaching, but then the Arena League came. That's not in there. I played. Yeah. You had a season, right? I played a few games, and yeah. I wised up again. Like, what, are you stupid? <laughs> I played. I was 42 years old, but that's when we, we got conned by a guy, a white-collar crime, and we needed everything we could do. So I was coaching with Babe Pirelli at, at the high school I was coaching. I let him use our field. Then after I was coaching, he goes, you're better than the kids you're coaching. I said, yeah. They're drunk every night. I said, I stay in shape. I said, he said, you want to play? I said, yeah, sure, I'll play. And uh, I, they were making like 500 bucks. I said, if you pay me 1,500 bucks or 1,000, I'll play. You're in. Wow. So there I did. I played about three, three or four games. What was that like? It was fun. It yeah. was, I mean, I, football is fun. The, the game part of it is always fun. Yeah. So I had fun. And there were some guy, Cliff Branch played in it. There were a couple guys who played in it. But... Uh, it was time to quit. And then it was on to... to then coaching. I got a real job. I coached high school football yeah. and then uh, coached Rutigliano. We did well. We had a real, I was a head coach and we did really well. Mm -hmm. We had a couple private school championships and that. Nice. And I had a lot of kids going to college. So Coach Sam so said, come try coach, it at the He next said, level. try it at Liberty. But I go, Coach, fall well? I'm Catholic. Are you kidding me? Yeah. And he said, you can do it. He knew that I needed to do it. He said, if you come, you'll get a job. I coached with Sam for two years. And I got hired at Duke. Yeah. So then when I was at Duke, I liked it and it was fine and everything, but it's not playing and it's not doing that. Nothing so, could scratch that itch. So playing. I got in. Yeah. So I, I said, I got to do something else. So we did something for a year or so. And then I got in Hall in 2003 and that changed my life. Yeah. Uh, not, not a whole lot financially, but I got an opportunity to do a lot of things like speaking engagements and things sure. like that where you know, we can survive. And then my wife, we're same age, so she turned 66 and we said, we're, we're both retiring. Yeah. So, and we, we learned to live on little. We don't, we right. don't need a whole lot. Right. So well, our most important thing is our 12 uh, grandkids and being able to work out. Not necessarily learn to live on little. Yeah. You both kind of went back to your roots. Yeah, we did. That's how you were raised. Yep. It was. So it, it was almost like training for you. Yeah. In 2009, you did something slightly unconventional. Um, tell us what you did and why you did it. Well, my college roommate called me. We, we started an orphanage in uh, Montemoros, Mexico, across from Brownsville, Texas. And he said, look, we're, we're never going to get ahead unless we raise a ton of money because we got to build, build an orphanage, actually build an orphanage, not use one that they have. I go, hey, I'm in. Whatever you're doing, I'll, I'll do it. And he says, three of us would bicycle to Mexico, and then uh, we'll ask people to give us a penny a mile, and uh, we'll see how much money we can raise. I go, I'm in. I don't even know how to ride a bike. But I learned how to ride a bike. I went and took lessons, and three weeks, the lady said, yeah, you can do it. From where to where? The 50-yard line of Michigan State to Montemoros, Mexico. Which was how many miles? 2,000 miles in 18 days. And guess what? I, was, I didn't even know how to ride a bike. I was three miles off campus. I go, how much farther? They go, you stupid son. 1,997 miles. We did it. And, and you have to 
basically do about 100 miles a day yeah. to get that done. Yeah. Was it, I imagine at the end of we it, were it was rolling. rolling. We were rolling. We would uh, like go 33 miles, then the next guy would take it, 33. But we did right. 2,000 miles. And, and that changed a lot of kids' lives. We changed 69. These kids are all graduating from co uh, high school and college. Pretty good story. Joe DeLamalier, so great catching up with you. Thanks for joining us on Club 46, driven by Bridgestone. We appreciate it. And thank you as well for joining us for another episode. Make sure you turn in next week for our latest installment when we sit down with another all-time great Cleveland Brown. Until then, I'm Jay Crawford. We'll see you soon.